Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Two in the Authors podcast with me, David B. Lyons. And me, Robert Enright. And on today's show, we are going to be joined by psychological thriller writer M.R. McKenzie, who is here to inspire all our listeners as he takes us through how he has turned his stagnating author career into a success story over the past few months. Then... Round about halfway through the show, we will be answering a mailbag question sent in by one of you beautiful listeners, and this is about front and back matter of books. And that is before M.R. McKenzie sticks around with us, David, to become the first author to face the seven questions for a second time. Uh Um, Yeah, He promises us that his outlook has totally shifted since he first took the hot seat over a year ago. Fascinating. before we get into that, Chan, I'm very much looking forward to um, having M.R. McKenzie back on the show. Yeah. How has the last seven days been for you, my friend? Yeah, kind of good. Um, I, I've been disciplined, which is it can be mm. an issue for me. But uh, I, you know, with, with Lola back in school, I'm back on the regular run now, although yeah, you know, yeah. it's been a few weeks around that. We're now in the, into February. But yeah, I'm I'm in a, in a smooth of a routine of of getting some writing done in the morning and in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. then using sort of the sparse hours in between to sort of get some admin done or other business, um, you know, items t- ticked off the L list. And 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 there, there, as you know, Rob, there's there's always this an on, list. ongoing list um, of those things. I I've actually. In the last week, I took a couple of hours out to write up a great, I say great, I mean, it's it's average, but it's on page, a um, marketing plan for the year. Okay. Just to, I mean, a bit like you, I spend, or traditionally over the last six years of doing this, maybe 15, 20% of my advertising budget is Amazon ads and maybe up to 80% is Facebook ads. I'll just... As I've said, and and openly admitted on the podcast, my that eighty percent that maybe I'm probably spend about four grand a month on Facebook really? ads. It's just I hadn't brought me the returns it used to have, and I, I I'm not saying that's going to be the case for everybody. It just happens to be the case for me and my books, and whatever way I, I'm marketing them, and whatever way the algorithms have changed, it's just not bringing me back the you know profit it used to. So what I want to really concentrate on is maybe not spending four grand a month on Facebook ads, maybe sort of rein that back a bit and start playing the game that I was taught when I, I first started, learned about independent publishing, which was sort of discount that first book heavily and get uh, onto these, you know, discount sites like running right. bubs and, and, you know, free booksy and fussy librarian. I just want thousands of people to get to read Betsy Blake and let the read through work from there. Have you have you um, investigated all of those since taking them wide? Because all of those go wide, don't they? All those discounted sites. So yeah. if you're setting up a book pub, say like I do, where I'm exclusive to Amazon, I I do that along with a countdown deal. So I still get 70%. 
Yeah, which means like, I, which means you know, I negate the ones I can't do that in the countries I can't do that, the territories yeah. or the regions I can't do that in, um, because that's a business plan that works for me. However, if you get a Bookbub or one of these other discount sites, um, yeah, they they far reach across Kobo, across um, Nook, across Google, across Apple. Yeah. So for you, maybe. You know, having just Facebook ads taking them to just this one platform, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a. I start looking at these sites that kind of explode me across all of them and try and line them all up. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, get get a bookbub deal and then kind of reverse engineer it back across yeah. all the other ones, and then you could just have like this kind of snowball effect of discount, 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 discount and reach all these people. Yeah, exactly. So I, I sort of. Plotted it out throughout the whole year, um, February mm. to December, and which discount sites I will approach for uh, marketing uh, each month. I just, it, it was driven and inspired by the fact that I've gone wide. I thought, right, and now I need a different, I can't be just running Facebook ads to an Amazon mm -hmm. affiliate link. I really need to sort start selling books uh, wide. And, you know, I moved wide two weeks ago and I've sold maybe three, maybe 40 books um, mm. wide organically because I haven't advertised anything now that's all right I mean it's not great but it's not sustainable because that's not going to bring mm. back the money that I was getting from my page reads and um, even though that was uh, decreasing but yeah it, it's a marketing plan it's fresh you know it's it's something yeah. new and innovative for me to chase after so I, I will let our listeners know uh, week to week sort of how that is going and, and, and see if it makes a big difference to me because I have yeah, lost definitely. the page reads, income, and I really need to make that up through wide sales. Um, aside from setting up a marketing plan, my writing's been okay. Uh, I think I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago that, you know, writing my books now seems to be a job. Yeah. Um, whereas when I was a journalist, I, I remember this, when I was a journalist and I was weaning off journalism to start writing novels, I felt when I was writing about football, I was a football journalist, it just became a job. Because how so, could that happen? <laughs> because I was so, that's the thing, right? I was so excited about writing my novels. I just thought, well, I don't mm -hmm. want to write about Man United or Liverpool anymore. It doesn't interest me anymore. And now that I'm sort of in this excited phase about writing these screenplays, my novels have sort of to become like work. And I thought, well, I don't want that because I've always wanted to mm. write novels. So I need to, you know, I need to get back on that bandwagon. So I'm sort of disciplining myself where I'm not, I'm not allowed to write myself writing any screenplay until I get a thousand words done in a day. So if I don't That's get a good. thousand words of my novel done or my novella, well then, fuck you, David, you're not getting any of your fun time with your screenplays. So um, mm -hmm. a little bit of self-discipline there. And again, I will keep our listeners up to date on, on how I cope with that over the weeks. Um, so a decent week, disciplined, which is what I need. Uh, it, it's something I lack. Uh, it's something you have in abundance though, uh, Rob, and I'm envious of that of that about you but has it been a disciplined week um it's been a week <laughs> <laughs> so i um i i i i've been riding this wave since the book launched um a couple of fridays ago right so we're actually recording this on a friday this week aren't we yeah. uh, due to timing um restraints but yeah so in that two weeks like the book's been it's, it's yeah it's been mad so I kind of took a little time. I was like, you know, I want to really fine tune loads of things. I want to get on top of stuff. There's loads of things I put yeah. off when I'm writing. Like you said, I'm very disciplined. But so when I'm in the writing zone, I'm in the writing zone. Yeah. I do the bare minimum, like the absolutes of the admin world. 
I do those things that I have to do. Yeah. Then there's loads of stuff that just gone a to do list. So I've been ticking those things off. I've kind of given myself a bit of like an easy time. I've I've spent more time plotting the new Jack Townsend book than I've ever plotted a book before. Oh, cool, nice. Um, just because it has to, it's very different. It's not you know, Sam Pope gets to this situation, the bad guy gets this situation. Have fun. You know, this is very intricate. How do these people get to these positions? Figure this out. Figure that out. Because you're following an investigation now, right? So exactly. And uh, my um, my editor. Emma, she she gave me a wonderful piece of advice, especially when writing this um, detective series. Is your characters don't know what you know, so yeah, you can't then say, well, there's no point in them investigating this or doing this really menial task because it has no impact on the story. They don't know it has no impact. So yeah, there's been a lot more plotting. So um, I was intending to start writing on the first, so February through to March was just going to be writing. Great. Then, um, on the 31st of January, I got an email that completely, I was telling you this off camera before, David, off, off mic, absolute whirlwind, right? Madness. Not in a good way. Yeah. Not in a good way. Um, and I'm going to leave that as a hook for next week's episode because you and I are going to yeah. talk about this next week in depth because... <laughs> I had almost a potentially career-shattering email. Yeah. Um, I will let our listeners know now it's been resolved. Good. <laughs> so I am still one of the two indie authors, <laughs> but it was it was one of the worst 24 hours I've experienced as an indie author, and I think that probably deserves us talking about it a bit longer than just a couple of minutes. So yeah. beyond that, I'm in a good place for next week to start writing a new book properly. But yeah, it's a, it's been a week. Okay, it's time for our main talking point, Rob. And we've invited a, a very special guest uh, back onto the show, friend of the show, uh, M. Or McKenzie. Now, M. Or McKenzie, the M stands for Michael. We've had him on the show before. He's a brilliantly skilled author. And I know because I've read um, all of his novels, I've actually worked on uh, a number of his novels with him uh, in, in an editing capacity. But Michael has transformed his independent author business since he last appeared on our show um, over a year ago, Rob. So welcome mm. back, M.R. McKenzie. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me again, for <laughs> subjecting yourself to bones <laughs> yet again. <laughs> no, well, it's, it's, it's absolutely our pleasure to have you um, on the show. Listeners, check out M or McKenzie on Amazon. Uh, check out In the Silence and um, the, the rest of his fantastic psychological uh, thriller novels. Um, he's a really skilled author. I know that. Cruel Summer, The Shadow Men, uh, Women Who Kill. Really great books. Look at the covers. They're fantastic. The covers are amazing. Yes. The oh, covers are incredible. Totally yeah, professional. They're, they're the work of a very skilled guy called Tim Barber who runs a company called Dissect Designs. And uh, yeah, I, I I discovered him you know a couple of years ago, and you know sort of off the strength of him doing one cover for me, I was like, yeah, I need this guy to do all my covers. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're well, beautiful. He's done a great job. They're beautiful, and and the the branding, like you just know it's an M R McKenzie book. You know, the the, mm. the byline is the same on all of them. I mean, it changes colors, but it's the same font, so you know 
exactly what you're picking up. Um, it's it's been a very interesting writing career for you, uh, Michael. And in fact, it, it's probably a, kin, a little akin to what Rob and I have been through because early on, you got a publishing deal, didn't you? Yeah. You didn't, yeah. You, you're not like us. You didn't go, I'm going to be an independent author. Fuck publishing, the traditional publishing thing. <laughs> well, you chased it. Funny you should say that. I mean, I, when I initially, when I finished my first novel in the silence, my assumption was, oh, no one is ever going to want to you know, no publisher is ever going to want yeah. to buy this. So I just assumed I would self-publish it. And I submitted to like, I think it was a dozen um, publishers that um, accept unsolicited manuscripts. And I actually got interest from, I think, three. Great. Um, the first to get back to me was Bloodhound. Um, and, you know, they signed me. Um, Great. And then a couple of others, um, you know, sort of after the fact, um, got in touch. Um, so I, that was kind of quite a big boost for me yeah uh, you know the, the the fact that that any publisher would have any yeah. than a you know let alone you know more, more than one yeah absolutely. i mean it's so unusual so my my take on that and that's the the whole gatekeeper thing that we 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 talk about now is it's funny how um people still we still crave that kind of validation yeah. from people who literally are just clicking the same buttons we can click ourselves they might be able to open some doors into bigger bookshops um but again we already know the the sort of paychecks that come back from those journeys aren't aren't, aren't life-changing actually yeah, right, and exactly. a lot of them you know the big big bookshops you have to pay to get in there you have to pay to have certain stickers put on your books you have to pay to be on certain tables so the fact that you know you're saying you start out you've got these books like your books look incredible you've got the, the first one in the series got over like four and a half thousand reviews so people have already validated your book but when you started you were still they had the mindset i had it too of, yeah me too I, I can't believe i can't believe someone wants this this publisher i went to the world's smallest publishing house that doesn't even exist anymore and I don't, i'm not surprised he doesn't exist anymore because he was a charlatan but I was at the time, I can't believe it. I'm going into London to meet this publisher. He's taking me out for lunch. Oh my God. And it's, it's like you said, it's that feeling like you couldn't believe it. So so you had three publishers and then you obviously went with one of them. Um, how did that go for you, both in a sort of a professional way, so how the books went, but also for you as an experience, how you found it? I mean, I still look back on it as a positive experience on the whole, because uh, I was very, I was kind of naive at the time and didn't really, didn't have any kind of real sort of business plan, if you like. And I've I've come to the realization over the years that I'm, although people tell me I'm quite calm on the outside, I have quite a, I'm quite mercurial when it comes to my moods. So, yeah. like on any given day, if things are going well, it's like, this is great. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, like um, I've made it, you know, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to sell millions of books and it's all uphill from here. If I have a bad day, like if I, like if my, my sales kind of take a dip on a, any given day, it's like, oh, this is a disaster. This is the end of the world. <laughs> so um, just, you, just that kind of validation of someone wanting to buy my book was, was mm. huge. Um what I quickly discovered, I mean, you've you've touched on the kind of, you know, the fact that, you know, you're sharing royalties with a publisher. So you're getting, you know, kind of a small amount from a small pot. And um, that's one thing. I I also quickly kind of realized I I mean, 
I wrote in the silence as the start of a series mm. and kind of thought my foot's in the door now this is this is fine I've kind of I've 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 conv- I've persuaded people that um that I can write I do I, I can sort of I can just get on with writing the the sequels now and um the publisher that I was with um when I submitted the second book um said we don't really feel this is a fit for us and I, so then mm, my wow. whole plan just collapsed before my eyes I was like well, what do I do now? It's like, um, I, I, this is this is like, they've got book one in the series, and yeah, I think it was book two, which they don't want, which is like, you know, it's fair enough. You know, they have to make decisions about you know what they think they can sell, and I also I kind of belatedly realized I'd sort of made a rod for my own back because I'd written yeah. I'd written a sequel that was quite different from the first one, so it was kind of quite difficult to market in that respect. Um, but yeah, I, I then sort of found myself at that point very quickly thinking i need to go down a different route and take mm. this myself it, it's 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 like holding a mirror up to my own experience uh michael i mean you have, have spoken um personally before about it but yeah I, I had a similar experience where they loved my first book and but because it didn't sell um so brilliantly well like them um, and i had i had signed a three book publishing deal with the publisher um, they just went. They just. It didn't matter how good my second book was going to be. It actually ended up being a, an international bestseller. But they didn't want it because the first book didn't sell so well, and it was the best rejection I've ever had because that it was mm-hmm. at that time where I, start going. I'm going to reach out to more publishers, and then Mark Dawson was coming into my sphere, and independent mm-hmm. publishing, self publishing, was becoming a bit more viable. And I thought, oh, let's give this a go. Best decision I ever made. And um, so that's similar to you, then, Michael. Is it the second book was when you thought. I'll, I'll independently publish this. Well, I, I mean, I think if memory serves, I reached out to you and said, like, David, can you read this? Can I, can I, like, can really? I do like a developmental edit on this just to, just to kind of reassure me that it's not terrible. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time I was still talking about, oh, I, you know, I would want to shop this around, but I think I never really pursued that, and it's partly mm. because I didn't think any publisher would want to take book two in a series where book one is, you know, the rights are with a different publisher. Absolutely. Then also I kind of, my eyes very quickly opened to the, the obvious advantages of, you know, having complete control of this myself. Yeah. Mm. Of being in charge of my own, you know, my, my own destiny when it came to, you know, um, being a, you know, an author, you know, for all, for both the good and the the bad that, that, you know, that, that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I, I think it's a really good point. Um, some really good points you made there. I think we should just quickly make the point. We we don't hate publishers on this show. Um, we actually think publishers can do a lot of good for a lot of authors, and we've we've seen that. Um, that we've actually had a number of hybrid authors on the show who have, you know, had really good experiences with their publishers. Obviously, we have gone down the indie route and we massively champion it for all the reasons you just said, like the the control you had. But I mean. Your situation, while it mirrors David's, was very different to mine with publishers. But I mean, you were in a situation where one publisher had your rights to the book, and you had a second book that you wanted to get somewhere, and it's like, what would you do with that? And basically, you brought it all down, brought it all back in house, um, and started it yourself. So, and we may have gone over this a year ago when you was on the show with the seven questions. But how did your first sort of experiences of the indie author world go for you? 
Yeah, I think I would say better than I feared, but not as well as I'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as, I, as I've said already, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I, um, I, I kind of tried to, basically what I did was I, I did my own cover. I paid uh, David to edit the novel, which he did mm-hmm. Um And then I just kind of put it out there. And I, I think I reached out to some of the people that had done the blog tour for In the Silence and said, you were re- you were said really kind things, but in the silence, would you be interested in you know reviewing Little um, Summer? And I think half a dozen people got back to me and did, and again, lovely, lovely things about it. Um, but you know, this was me sort of basically trying to do what you know a, a bunch of professionals did last time around, uh, yeah. and I, I I didn't really know what I was doing. I the book sold a few copies, um, more copies that in retrospect then it should have given how little i actually did to, to mm. um but then after a couple of months of initial activity it just sort of flatlined and um i was like oh no this is terrible this is hopeless <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing i can't I, I i i you know this you know i i can't possibly hope to make a living doing this um you know um the only thing that's sort of keeping me doing it is the kind of compulsion to write not you know it's like well i would still be writing even if no one read it um so yeah, yeah. And you keep going and you know sort of i guess be satisfied with selling a handful of copies a month yeah was, that was kind of my feeling after you know after releasing cruel summer but you know each subsequent book has done slightly better than the last one and i've kind of i've become more sort of aware of the you know sort of the perils and pitfalls of what to do and what not to do and yeah so it sort of it, it trends upwards let's let's put it that way well that that's amazing i'm so proud of you that you managed to turn mm. it around so we're, we're in about 2019 here um michael cruel summer's just come out it probably sold well because you had amassed a little bit of a fan base from the original that was sold by your um publishing company yeah yeah. Um, also, the, um, the McIlvany Prize nomination, which was a huge thing, and has gone on the cover of every single one of my books ever since. Yeah, yes, that's lovely. right. You, you won that prize for your debut. No, I, I was I so I was long listed for the McIlvany Prize, which is the main one, and then I was shortlisted for the debut prize. I didn't win either of them, but you know, just getting nominated was a huge thing. And I I appeared on a panel for, with the other debut prize. Um, you know, nominees, and I remember very deliberately getting a plug-in for Cruel Summer. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I'm going to use this platform. Lovely. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely, that sort of pull quote, uh, not an award nominee, you know, I, I'm I'm a sucker for bringing pull quotes. If I could get a bad review, and it might say um, cracking ending or something, you know, <laughs> I'm just pulling that out, a, a positive review or a positive pull quote. Oh. You're doing the, um, you're doing the, the Guardian with them, the film Legend. Do you remember that? Yeah. You yeah. with Tom oh, Hardy. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. they did. The Guardian gave it two stars. Yeah. Everyone else gave it five. The Guardian gave it two stars. So what they did is they put the two stars between the two Tom Hardy pictures and it says That's two like... stars Guardian, but because it's surrounded by five stars and their heads are in the way, it looks like five star yes. Guardian. <laughs> like genius. Very good. Very similar story to that as well, which I, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase this, but... Um, you know, there was some quote for some film or other that was like, you know, not a great film. So, of course, the pool quote is a great film. Amazing. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, of course. Yes, yes. Take out the word not. Absolutely. So here we are. We're about summer of 2019 from my memory, Michael. You, you've yeah. had um, 
the first book go out with a publisher. Second one, you were independently publishing it. It, it, it did okay in its first month. Then it started to stagnate. So now we're in a position that I'm guessing a high percentage of our listeners are in right now. Yeah. I've got these books. I've got this great product. Um, but I just, I, I, I'm stagnating. I, I, I can't really get my teeth into this uh, independent auto career. Um, now, we're nearly five years down the road and, and you've made great headway since, but it wasn't overnight that you, you turned things around. What, what was your headspace in in around the summer of 2019? Because Cruel Summer has just come out. You're, you're trying to write, is it, it's not The Shadow Man, it's book three, is it? Well, it should have been, book three should have been The Shadow Men, but because I was still in a two book deal with my publisher I was ah. kind of scrambled to write a standalone ah. which became the library murders which again you edited after yes. um, I went through quite a protracted um, you know um, experience with them where they initially seemed interested in it they gave me some notes but um, you know I, I did a rewrite based on their notes and I think it, they, they again felt you know this this isn't a fit for us so I you know kind of again took it under my own wing and decided well you know i would much rather i, I again it was kind of a, a sort of a very sort of a glass half empty attitude i think at the time yeah. well um i've got this book i don't know if it's going to do any business but i would rather that some people read it rather than no one read it it's such a good so, book the library murders as well i do you know it's it's funny it's it's my least favorite of all the books I've written, but I don't think that has anything to do with the quality of it. I think it's purely the fact that I, it, I, I went through so many revisions of it, and it, at one point, it, it, you know, at one point I changed it dramatically in the hope that mm. it, um, that the publisher would accept it in a different form, and then after they turned it down, I kind of reverted a lot of those changes, so it still feels to me a bit of a Frankenstein's monster, right? It wasn't, then, yeah, it wasn't your vision for it not my original vision mm. it's not the publisher's vision and then what's kind of what i've kind of ended up with i think is a really good book personally but um i just kind of i kind of look at it and think well it's not what i wanted originally it's not what the publisher wanted it's kind of like a sort of hybrid of the two yeah yeah but there's something about your books michael it's the setting i think there's something about how you set and where you set books that really is vivid it comes alive you know the, the lot there's so many books cozy crime in that area you know what i mean the library murders and you know the yeah. the the woman who got killed at the you know book club you know all the, the i mean it, yeah. it, it, those sort of books are huge because that cozy crime um it is it is such a big genre but you, you nail setting there's something you really make um your setting and your characters come alive that's what i really love about your work and um, so we're sitting here you, you've got you've, you're thinking oh Jesus the second book hasn't done great I'm writing this third book which I'm really not sure about now because the publisher has given me notes on it in the in 2019 are you thinking this isn't for me I no I don't think I ever thought that um, good. Good. Yeah, good good as I've said before I I I feel compelled to write so I would I would still be writing even if they just sat in my hard drive and no one except me ah, ever saw them right. Oh, I I don't think I ever experienced a moment of I'm just going to throw in the towel, but I think I very much did go through kind of quite a long phase of, well, I'm just going to be putting these out once a year and sell a handful of copies, uh, get a few nice reviews um, mm. and just be kind of content with that and 
you know, never be never be in a position to consider, you know, it being, you know, even like a, a supplementary career, let alone a career. A one. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I think I'm obviously I'm still not there yet, but I think that goal feels more tangible now than it did certainly at that point. Ah, uh, that that moment that moment where you think, actually I could do this. That I was mm. I when I reached out to you, Dave, and we were chatting because we wanted to do this a year, good year or so before we actually started this podcast. And I said to you, I need another year because that was around the point in my head where I was like, and like you said, it's, it's the upward trends that you're seeing. Obviously I'm a data guy and all that stuff. As soon as you see those upward trends and you keep feeding it, essentially feeding it, feeding it books, feeding it marketing, feeding it, whatever that upward trend, if it keeps going up, every book upon book it keeps going up and up you're like right okay well now i can work out what i need to get to to then go full time with this and then you know you can you can run as fast as you want then um so that moment is unbelievable the fact that you're saying yeah you've gone from being like uh we said earlier maybe where a lot of our listeners are of these books might just sit on my hard drive or i might just put them out get a couple of reviews but that'll be it. I'll never make more than a few hundred a year, maybe. Two, you can now see making a career out of it, which is brilliant. So I think the biggest question then is, is what did you do, say, over the last year? Since we last spoke, when you came on to do the seven questions, what have you been doing since that's kind of caused this upward trajectory well i i mean i think where it starts is actually slightly earlier than that mm -hmm. when i got the rights to in the silence back from yeah publisher right uh, which happened staggeringly quickly and was much easier than i anticipated it being i you know i sent an email saying would it be okay if i you know kind of acquired the rights back and then i like literally 15 minutes later i got i got an email by saying done you know it's pulled from amazon it's gone you know the rights are yours here you go and so at that point, I scrambled to get my own version, you yeah, know, yeah. as possible. But um, that kind of, I think that allowed me, like the fact that all my books, including the first book in this, you know, my main series were now under my control, sort of provided a, a sort of a launch pad, you know, from which everything else flowed. I, at the, at the time that I last book, I had In the Silence as a perma-free and mm. it's like just essentially trying to give it away. Yeah. And, I kind of in the last year came to the conclusion this is the wrong approach. You know, there you know that kind of saying of you know you you charge what you think your books are worth. Yeah, if you're mm -hmm. giving away for free. I mean, I think it's a strategy that can work certainly, and a lot of people have done it to great success. But in my case, my my kind of like um, you were saying, I've got like four thousand reviews on uh, uh, you know four thousand ratings on Amazon. That's great to have, but. Most of these people, I think, probably never moved beyond the first book in the series. Yeah, right. Yeah, because so, they wanted another free book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, I've even had emails from people saying, "Are any of your other books available for yeah. free?" Come on, <laughs> yeah, Be a bit subtle about it. Yeah, um, but so I, I, um, I took, uh, I, I previously um, made in the science my reader magnet. Um, so I was giving that away for free as a as a newsletter sign up. A, a mm -hmm. I was also giving it away for free on Amazon. I took it out of that. I um, I put it into Kindle Unlimited, and my Kindle Unlimited page really doubled overnight as a result because yeah. I quickly realised that you know it's all very well having the rest of your shoes in KU. If the first book isn't, that audience is not going to be there for it. Did that. Um, 
I also, I, I listened to myself in my previous interview on the podcast and thought, mm. well, I just sound really down in the dumps about this. <laughs> this, this, this sort of, um, the, the, this sort of over, you know, overhanging cloud of doom and despair, you know, over, I thought, yeah, I need to, I, I, I need to do something about this. Um, and, um, not that long after that, you had Matt Holmes on the podcast. Yeah. Yes. And like, I followed, um, you know, I, I followed courses on uh, indie author marketing before, you know, both ones that are paid and ones that are, you know, available online for free. And I just like, for some reason, none of them had ever really clicked with me. Um, but that I, I, and I, what I always felt was my biggest issue with doing, you know, Facebook ads was most of the courses are very lean, very heavily into the idea of, you know, finding a lookalike author. Yeah, you fight. Oh, you, you like you can like, um, you know, like um, Rob. I would guess like probably Lee Child is a is a really good Lee Child group. is my target author. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas I've always been like, well, there's a bit of Denise Mine in there, a little bit of Nikki French, and a little bit of there's a tiny Virginia yeah. Vinod Blyton from you know when I used to yeah. You know, I used to read a lot when I was a child, um, but there's no real kind of single standout author that you yeah. to and be like, yeah, that's the one for me. Yeah. Also, a lot of the authors that I would have considered my go-tos are just not available on Facebook. As, as an audience selection, yeah. So when Matt came on and said, forget all that, you know, just, just go wide, you know, kind of let Facebook figure out who your audience is. I was like, well, I want to give that a go, actually. That sounds... Really? That sounds that sounds like music to my ears. So I did that. And within a week, I was turning a profit. This is and great. This is and- great. So Michael, to just, just try as a little bit of, a, of an explanation for those who aren't aware of Matt's process, what you're saying is you stopped um, narrowing your target audience on Facebook ads and let it, and, and had a, a wide audience. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. What, what targeting were you selecting? Anything female, male, anything? I no, I, I, the only thing I select is country. Um, so I'm advertising in the UK at the moment, and my goal at some point this year is to start advertising in the US as well. Because yeah. obviously that's a great huge market. Very crazy to, you know, ignore that. But right now I'm kind of concentrating on getting the UK. Um, targeting yeah. really well then um, I at some point in the future I might start narrowing it down you to like eight, like age and gender but at the moment it's just you know 18 to 65 plus but, UK well what that's... you what, what you do then is and this is I, I get excited talking about data you, you know, David knows this um, is you do this for however long and you know hopefully fingers crossed you know, I, I had an ad going for two years because it was profitable Um I only turned it off because it was so outdated branding wise. I had to, mm. I had to move it across. But what you do then is you have this ad running. You get a good four, five, six months worth of data. You go and you go in and you have a look at the back of it, don't you? And you can go see of this wide audience. What's the percentage of people who are clicking that are male, female in these age brackets, in these age brackets? And then you can either keep that ad running, which you should because it's profitable. You then set up another ad, maybe slightly different copy. And you target it just to those the the majority of people who are clicking on your ad, because then it will target those people more and more and more, and then that's how your ads will grow. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I I 
I, I followed Matt's course to the letter. That was another thing that I really appreciated about his course is that um, I think quite a lot of the, you know, the, the author marketing courses out there are kind of very sink or swim. Like they throw a lot of information at you, but then don't give you like, you say, well, you can do this or you can do this or yeah. you can do that. Whereas Matt's course is very much like, do this, keep at it, expect, don't expect to turn a profit immediately. Um, I mean, I, I did, I was really lucky. In fact, mm. weirdly enough, like my first month, um, was my, in terms of, in terms of return on ad spend was my best. Ah. Day. Um, so, I mean, obviously I've, as you scale up, as you spend more money, you get the, the, the returns diminish slightly. Um, so, I mean, I'm like. I made more money in January than I did in October, which is when I started this. But in October, I was seeing like a return on ad spend of like 3.5 or something. Oh, great. Whereas now I'm sort of 1.4 to 1.5, which is like 1.5 is kind of my target. So basically to explain that, it's like every title, it's for every 100 pounds you spend on your ads, you would expect to take in 1,500, sorry, 150. 150. Giving you a profit of 50. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, it's it's sort of where I am now with my uh, returns, whereas I used to be two and a half, mm. three times, um, like you. So so Rob asked you the, the big question there, I guess, a couple of months ago is is what what have you done to turn it around? So one thing is you followed this Matt Holmes formula of wide targeting on Facebook ads, um, which has turned um, you know profitable for you. And that's one big step. You got your uh, some of your marketing right. You also mentioned there or alluded to a few minutes ago, Michael, that you started collating an email list. Well, I'd been I'd been doing that for a while anyway. In fact, I think I started that up within a year of you know having my first book published. Ah, okay. And I, I mean, my e- my email list is something I still really need to work on. Um, like mm. at various points in the past, I have taken out Facebook ads, you know, for signups. And that works to an extent, but it gets a very, in my experience, it gets a very disinterested audience. It was ah, like, okay. oh, here, here's someone giving something away for free if I give them their email address. I'll click that and then I'll not even bother downloading. Yeah. So I, I, I think my, like, I, I do a call on my email list every now and then. And I, like, I generally, when I send, I send out a newsletter once a month and I generally gets an open rate of like maybe 50 to 55%, which, yeah. It's not bad, it's decent, but, yeah. but um, it it doesn't get a ton of engagement. So uh, that's that's kind of more of a sort of medium term goal, I guess, is to sort of you know, to really kind of you know get that that mailing list on the go. But um, in a, you know, in addition to the Facebook ads, which you know I I started running, like I, I took Matt's course and I started running the ads in late October. I haven't turned my ads off since then, and. Like it's a very rare day now that I don't at least um, recoup all my my spend. That's uh, good. Like I think like in in January, which was my best month of all time, you know, like um, we don't need to necessarily go into the numbers because I think that's a that can be a bit misleading because everyone's at a different stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, you know, I had maybe three days where um, I lost money. And one of those days, that was my own stupid fault because I completely messed up the ads. Ah. Like I, I, like you, like the, the Facebook algorithm is difficult to get your head around, and I don't think anyone really has got their head around it. But um, if you make sudden changes 
to the way that your money is being spent, it just goes, what? I don't, I don't know what you're doing. So like I, um, I had one ad that Facebook wasn't spending a whole lot of money on that I thought was the strongest performer. So I whacked a big minimum spend on that, woke up to find, find that it spent most of that in the, between yeah. the midnight and 8am. Ah. Oh no. And, uh, so it was like, yeah, my, I sold five books that day and I was lucky to sell those five. But then the next day, back to normal so um yeah so so that so there's the so there's the facebook ads there's the mailing list i also um like i'm not a fast writer um but i think i could be faster uh mm-hmm. i um you know i've done a book a year um so far um pretty much almost exactly to the month and for a long time i've always i've wanted to get up to two books a year and i've just kept telling myself that's impossible i can't do that unless there are way more hours in the day or i get way faster at writing or become way less um sort of exacting you know like i or i lower, lower my standards but mm-hmm. i had kind of epiphany a few months ago where it was like um i've been thinking in terms of years and you know kind of the daunting nature of doubling your output but i, I suddenly thought to myself think about this in terms of months you know like you can do a book in 12 months well you can probably do a book in nine months mm-hmm. so, um so that's for the next like two three years my goal is to do a book every nine months and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be quite strict about it in terms of sticking to release dates like my next book the reckoning which is the fifth anna scavellini novel has a release date of um it's either the 27th or the 28th of may i'm sticking to that even if it's ready you know yeah mm-hmm. months in advance and then my next window is going to be like um february of next year great so i'll have it out in february of next year and if if by any chance it's done before then i'll just bank it and you know kind of yeah. build kind of nice um sort of supply you know of, of of books that are ready to go and then you know once i have more of a feel for what i can do i can possibly look to shorten that window so maybe instead of a book every nine months it could be a book every eight months or seven months yeah. brilliant so do you yeah. think michael that this sort of having a clear plan and and clearing that thing right i'm going to write a book every nine months this is going to be the process has 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 that clarity um been part of the reason why things have picked up for you you think is that is that a big lesson for our listeners like look to the future and think how am i going to shape this business yeah i mean i think uh, i think a plan is always a good thing to have and i'm like i'm one of these people that procrastinates an awful lot if i don't have a deadline um stuff work just doesn't get done so i kind of sort of look at this as having a roadmap like um you know, mm-hmm. it's very tempting to be the kind of, you know, the sort of the tortured artist and be like, well, no, it'll be done when it's done. You know, if it takes five years for me to write my masterpiece, it'll take five years. I think it's much better to um, say to yourself, no, the, this is when the book has yeah. to be done by. Because, I mean, my experience is, you know, if you give yourself nine months, you'll take nine months. If you give yeah. yourself yeah. 18 I, months, you'll take 18 months. Well, that's definitely how my head works, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, no, I I think like I think I, I possibly said to you off the air before we started recording. I I'm not a big believer in New Year's resolutions, but this year I mm. thought you know make a plan for the next year, set yourself some goals that are you know, achievable, but not you know kind of a given. You know, it's very it's all very well to say, oh well, I'm going to release one book this year and earn the same amount of money I, money I earned last year. Um, I, I mean, I. I no, I, I wanted to challenge myself a little bit, so I said, so yeah. I 
I will release one book this year. I'll get another book basically ready to go early next year. And I'm going to double my revenue on last year. Great. I love it. I, I should say, yeah. actually, to to put our listeners' minds at ease, and, and the three of us are planners um, now on this. And, and when you talk about, yeah, get a plan. You know where your business is going. Know when you're going to write books, how many you're going to write, how much you think you might be able to put aside for marketing. I mean, it, we're not suggesting that um, people at home should be running out of big business plan, which is, you know, a booklet of A4 pages and this is how I got, it really is, my plan is in my head, really. I'm thinking, right, I'm going to release a book in March, you know, I'm writing novellas now so I can get them out quicker. So I'm going to release a book in March, June, every three months over the next two Mm. years. That's my plan. It's not written anywhere. I just know that that's what I'm going to do. So don't be daunted, listeners. By thinking, oh, uh, Mark McKenzie was on the podcast. He says you have to write a plan. That's how he turned his business around. It's not. We're not asking you to submit a big business plan to anybody. It's a case of knowing where and what you want to do and how you're going to tackle it. Yeah. No, my my, my plan is basically four or five bullet points that I scribbled yeah. down in a bit of paper on the first of January. Yeah. That, that's literally. <laughs> I mean, and I like, I'm unlike Rob, I am not a data guy at all. Like, like numbers just make my head spin. Yeah. Uh, so like another, like another kind of sea change for me is that last year was the first year that I really sort of sat down and treated uh, my writing as a completely separate endeavor from the day job. Because, like in mm. the past, it's been like, well, I just kind of treated all my incoming earnings as like one big pot and was like, well, you know, obviously I'm, I'm sustaining myself with the day job and the writing is kind of a bit on the side. Whereas last year was the first time I kind of sat down, like drew up a spreadsheet, worked out exactly what my outgoings were, exactly what my, my incomings were. I was like, okay, this is a completely separate thing. You know, it's not a case of, you know, you, you sort of, you work during the day in order to, you know, kind of finance your hobby, you know, like Mm -hmm. within reason, treat this as a business. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, a massive one I did from the get go. I don't think I really spent any money I made from books until I became a full time author. On my, I didn't spend that on myself. I might have like maybe pay for the odd night out um, with the what what my wife calls the book money, which is now just obviously my business now. But at the time, I used to say to her like, it, it goes back in everything it makes. It goes back in yeah. because I don't need it because I'm supplementing my life with my full time job. If I want this to be a business, every bit of money it makes needs to go back in, reinvest marketing covers, blah 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 blah, um, because that's it. And like you, we go back to the plan or anything like that. No business ever becomes successful without a plan. That no no business accidentally happens. Um, and or maybe they do, but they never sustain themselves unless they they understand what they're going to do to get going. And I we do talk about plans. People might think I have this vast, massive plan. I don't. My plan is I pick out. I know how many books I can write in a year. I then pick dates that I'm going to launch them. I then put them up for pre. I get the covers done way in advance. I put them up on Amazon. I've got deadlines then, and then I reverse engineer it back from there. How long does my proofreader need? How long does my editor need? So then that's the deadline I have. If I start writing it from here, that's my plan. It's basic. It's it's, it's easy. But, but it's a great plan, stick- but it's not written down anywhere, right? It's just, you know, this is oh. what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, and that's how uh, we take it on. So, um, Michael, it's it's been so wonderful to hear, like you said, you've, you're talking so positively about um, where you are with your books now and all that stuff. Well, I wish you all the success 
for this year. I'm really intrigued to um, see where you go and what you release. Um, would you like to stick around to answer our seven questions? I think I'm going to have to. Two Uh, as you're aware, David, I've stopped singing on the mailbag, and I think as we've got uh, Michael still with us, it would be <laughs> rude for me to to bully his ears with my voice. So, um, we're, we're all three of us are going to have a look at the mailbag, and this question uh, came in from Adam Stokes, and Adam says, "I have heard back matter and front matter used in author chats, and while I get what they both mean, um, I don't know what I can use as copy here." Can you give me any tips? So um, I'll throw that over to you, Michael, first, and then David and I can have a have a little look at it as well. I what what I would say is just look at other ebooks and see what they're doing because there is a kind of like although there are variations, there's not mm. that much variation. There is a kind of sort of standard template of you know you've got your title page, you've got your copyright page, you've got your about the author page, you've got your other books by this author page and so on and so forth and um where the where the kind of the variation is is in you know kind of the precise nature of the wording of the copyright page and then also what you put at the front versus what you put at the back and my attitude has always been you know put as much at the back as possible because mm. Um, and I think this, I, I think it primarily comes back to, you know, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the sort of the Amazon sample, you know, where like when you go onto Amazon's website, you, you click read sample and you'll see the first, I don't know, is it maybe 10% of, of the book? Yeah. If yeah. that is the front matter, you're not going to get much of a sample of the actual book. So move as much as you can to the back of the book as possible. And also that means there's less for people to skip through at the start when they're reading your book. Yeah. Um, like what, what I do is I just have the title page, which is literally just the title, my name, and then next page you are, um, as you know, I tell a lie. Next page is um, my kind of invitation to join my mailing list. Mm-hmm. And straight after that, it's just into the book. And then everything, all that kind of sort of the legalese and all the other uh, bump is way at the back. Yeah. 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 Really good. Yeah. It's it's all I have as front matter is if you, you know, sign up for David B. Lyons news or um, find out. So it's just literally that my front matter is uh, if you want to sign up, here you go. Whereas the more pushing, um, call to action is at the back of the book, and and, and I should. I, I'm all, I, I don't know whether I um underappreciate our audience. I feel like I have to explain everything to them, like they're they're starting out. But front matter and back matter in a book is pages in your book that are not the novel. Okay, so mm. you know, I'm, I'm really what we want from our back matter is to cultivate a fan base, people who like our books. Can we get their email address? Can we own a piece of their data, which means we can then feed, you know, um, marketing or or, our next books to them. So at the back of the book is key. What can you offer? Um, It's Adam, isn't it, that asked this question? Yeah. What can you offer your reader in exchange for their email address? That's what you're looking for. That's what you want to do. What can you give them that they'll go, okay, I'll sign up for that. Here's my email address. You now have access to my email address and I've now got 
whatever it is you have offered me. I offer video analysis of my books. Um, other people offer a free novella or a, a free sequel sort of page or maybe an insight into a character, a character sheet or something like that. So what can you offer your reader at the end of your book that will make them go, I'll sign up for that? What, what do you use, Rob? Uh, I mean, I tick off a load of the things you say there. Um, I don't have a sign up at the front of my book. My book literally goes title page, dedication in. Right. But I do have I do have a sign up at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and all my copyrights at the back. First thing I have that uh, comes up after you finish my book is the list of all the books, because there's quite a lot now. It's quite it's quite impressive. Yeah. Not to sound okay. It's quite an impressive thing if you go through an author's book. And you finish their book and then you go to like the series or whatever and it's just a, like a two-page list oh. and there's box sets there's novellas it's quite okay there's a lot here and that does a lot i get a lot of read through so that helps that definitely helps by kind of sticking the next one in their face yeah not not like here's a chapter of it or anything like that here's a link click this link it's going to take you through to the book oh, next. i just asked you there you, before you're asking for an email address you're saying buy the next book that's your priority as soon as the end so email address is third Correct. on my list. Okay, so I have I have the books. I then have a page that tells people I'm an independent author. Your review, your rating really helps me. Mm-hmm. So if you like the book, if you enjoyed the book, here's a link. So there's another link to take them back to the Amazon page. Here's a link to leave me a review. I'd really appreciate it. Then the one after that is if you enjoyed this series, if you enjoyed Sam Pope, I've got a couple of novellas about when he was a soldier. By signing up here, yeah, I'll give them to you for free. And then it, and then it's just a bit about me with my social media. That's it. But um, I think as long as you can, wherever you're focused on, if it's more sales, more reviews, more mailing lists, signups, you can, you know, you're completely in control of basically maneuvering the back of your book or the front of your book to kind of push your readers in the direction you want them to go. It's time for the seven questions, Rob. And we know this is a lot of our listeners' favourite part of the show. Um, usually called the two in the orders. It's the three in the orders today because Michael is still with us. It's, a, it's an M.O. McKenzie takeover episode. Michael, you were one of the first independent authors to answer the seven questions. Mm. Um, you say you're in a different headspace and you're different in a, in a different career space to when you first answered these 15 months ago. So it's going to be quite fascinating. I know our, our, our questions have changed. We've sort of evolved it um, for the new year of 2024, but they still sort of pose the same sort of questions and, 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 and try to get similar answers out of independent orders, essentially how they're running their independent business. <laughs> um, but question one of the new look uh, in uh, seven questions asks you, what is your favorite thing about being an independent author? I think it's probably going to be the a variation on the answer that a lot of your, your um, guests give, which is just the control. It's the fact that I am in charge of my own destiny, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I, you know, within reason, I get to decide what I'm going to write. I get to decide what it's, what the cover is going to look like. I I'm in a position to, if I, if my editor says something that I completely disagree with, I, I am in a position to say, actually, no, I completely disagree with you. And I'm going to, I'm going to go my own way with this. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen often. I'm usually on the same, my editor and I are usually on the same page, but I, it's nice to know I have that power, if you like. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just the fact that I don't really answer to anyone. I can like 
like my main Anis Cavallini series, in theory, I can continue writing that for as long as I want to write it. I'm not going to find myself suddenly in a position where um, my um, like my publisher says, well, actually, the last couple of books in that series didn't sell very well, so we're not interested in it anymore. Yeah, and I. I've seen that um, from an awful lot of traditionally published authors. You know, there, there's there's one author who I, I, I'll not I'll not say who they are, um, but who I've seen on Facebook is quite often being asked. You know, where are we going to get another book in the whatever series? Mm. And uh, their answer is always, "I would love to write another book in that series, but my publisher just isn't interested." Yeah, yeah. horrible situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. that is. Yeah, we we covered gatekeeping earlier on in the show, but yeah, that's like you said. I, we all love the control. You know, I I've always subscribed to the fact um, no one cares about your book as much as you will. Yeah. It's like it's, it's horrible, but it's like you know people don't want to see pictures of other people's kids a lot, like because <laughs> yeah. you know that's it. Like you know, my I've got so many videos of my kids singing Frozen songs horrendously at the TV. I don't show them to people because they, they don't care. They don't want to see it. So the same with the book, the publisher, you're just a commodity for you. The books are everything. So yeah, I think it's a wonderful answer. Um, I'm going to be a negative Nelly now and ask you question two, which is what is your least favorite thing about being an independent author? Well, it's kind of the same answer. It's sort of the mirror <laughs> of it. It's like, you know, all your eggs are, you know, you're, all the eggs are in your basket. You know, you're, mm-hmm responsible for everything everything sinks or swims based on you know what you do and and as a result that it does require you to wear an awful lot of hats and to mm. you know kind of get your head around things that are not necessarily in your headspace like you know like writing is a creative endeavor whereas like there there's certainly creativity in marketing but it's not purely creative, and I, I think if you are like a, if you're primarily like a like a like let's say an artistic type of person, that kind of stuff is not going to come naturally to you. It certainly doesn't come naturally to me. And mm. like there, like I do kind of like imagine this sort of ideal world where I just get to write my books and someone else deals with all the, the unpleasantness. But you know that's not going to happen. And look, let's be honest, for the most part, unless you are an extremely big household name that's not going to happen if you're a traditionally published author as well you're still going to be expected to kind of get yourself out mm-hmm. and handle your own marketing and stuff like that so it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of a negative question but also the positive is that you know you you're you're not really in any in in any worse a position than the majority of non-indians mm. yeah so true yes it really is and it's interesting well we do have that autonomy and yet you're which is your favorite thing about it same with me and same with most uh, authors who have answered that question um but also your least favorite thing is is that sort of lack of accountability isn't it that we we, we you know all your eggs are in your own basket as you say but you would love somebody i would love somebody to wrap me on the knuckles and go you get that thousand words down now. You're, you're supposed to write a thousand yeah. words today. You haven't yeah, yeah. done it. And and complacency is definitely uh, a disease that, that uh, um, I've contracted over, over, over time. But uh, the great thing is because, like your first answer is, you have the autonomy. Well, then you could outsource what you want. You can think, well, actually, the accounting side of it, I'm not good with. So I'll outsource that to a professional accountant. Or the marketing side, I'm not good with. I'll outsource that. You, you can pick and choose what sort of lane ways you want your eggs and your basket to travel down. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you can to I would say I would kind of add a slight disclaimer um regarding the outsourcing. You can to an extent, but um like because I 
I, I don't enjoy the marketing side of things and have sort of forced myself to get to grips with it. I have looked into the, you know, the possibility of outsourcing that and there are options out there, but my perception is that they are really only open to you if you have an awful, you know, if you, 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 I'll rephrase that. They're really only open to you if you're already at like quite a high level mm. in terms of your, yeah. your, your sales and revenue. So it's, it's kind of, it's almost the opposite way around from what I wish it was. It was like, you know, I would really like a, I would really like a sort of a leg up at the early stage. Yeah. You know, yeah. To get something to help me get off the ground. Whereas what you really need to be doing is you kind of need to have mastered it yourself almost. Yeah. And you're in a position to be able to say, well, I've kind of, I've kind of dealt with this. I've, I've got to grips with this. I've done the the hard work for this. Now I can sort of start to siphon that off to. Yeah. To- yeah the, the, the way i went with it because i've currently got my amazon ads being outsourced is i got my i got to grips quite well with um facebook ads um to then start dipping my toe in amazon ads and i did okay with amazon ads but i could never scale them and that's where like you said it's worth noting i i went to them saying look i'm willing to spend this amount of day i have this budget i have this many books i have this much success rate like behind me I need you to take that on a little bit for me. And they were more than happy to engage with me. Whereas if, if I went with one book saying I've got 200 pounds to spend this month, a lot of them will go, no. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a really good point that you've made there. Yeah, it is. And it actually brings us to a segue to question four. I'm actually going to come back to question three in a second, but I'm going to ask question four because we're here. Um, so how is it you market your books, uh, Michael? You said you use Facebook as a running success for you now. Is there any other avenue you're traveling down in marketing? Facebook is all I'm doing at the moment because I think it makes sense to kind of get mm-hmm. books with one platform before, you know, kind of just spreading myself too thin. I was going to do Brian Cohen's Amazon ads uh, yeah. challenge, which is, I think is just finished. Like mm-hmm. I did and signed up for it, you know, with, you know, kind of great, you know, sort of ambitions to get to, you know, to sort of get to grips with Amazon ads as well. But when it came, when it came time for the course to start, I just thought, do you know what? Not enough hours in the day. I'm still, I'm still in the very early stages of, of the sort of the Facebook ads journey deal with this first you've already you you've already given yourself a list of goals for the year don't don't add another yeah, one yeah. talk great it's later down the line it's facebook it's, that's it's, really it's, doing it for you in terms of advertising i i i, I you're, you're talking about time of the day so i'll go back to question three then and then rob will ask the final two questions um so time is 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 obviously the killer for an awful lot of authors who have full-time jobs and they're trying to write a book, they're trying to write a 90,000 word novel. Um, what is your writing routine, Michael, now? What, what's it like at the moment? Well, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's quite similar to how it was last time I was on. I still, my my kind of day job is still four days a week. So I work Tuesday to Friday with the, with the goal being that I then devote you know, as much as the of the remaining three days as possible to yeah. you know, going really hard at the writing like I, I try and get a bit done every day you know even if it's just like 15 minutes first thing in the morning or a little bit in the evening yeah i tend to find that when it gets to the evening if you've been working all day the motivation is you have to really force yourself to sit down and, and write for an hour and they're mm-hmm. quite often not that great as a result but yeah i um so i i kind of basically give myself sort of 
three days as a writer and four days as a, a as a producer of um, Blu-ray releases, uh, which you know there's a little bit of overlap, but it still requires you know a degree of compartmentalizing. Um, I um, I'm one of those people that, and I think you've talked about this before both of you that you kind of write in bursts like you'll have like a kind of very sort of you'll ha- you'll have a, a short period of intense activity followed by a kind of a lull um that's very much how it is for me like my last my my next book i should say the book that's coming out in may the reckoning i wrote a first draft of that in about six weeks which is pretty good going for me given that the previous mm-hmm. you know like three and a half months to write a first draft and that was a first draft that had to be completely rewritten because that just seems to be my process uh whereas this time i i, I and i appreciate we're going to slightly off the off the topic of the the question but um i just wanted to share this with you because it's, it's it was kind of an epiphany for me i kind of came into writing through scripts and mm. i hit in my headspace that is still my sort of default mode of writing and late last last year i um got an opportunity to do a pass on a script for a film by my friend jonathan zauren called derelict which is actually just finished filming um so i did a rewrite on that for him and that was my first time writing a script in years and it just came back to me so quickly and the thing that struck me was and David, you'll know this yourself because you've you've written you've been you you in this in the script writing zone yeah, the last year or two. Yeah, it's really quick. You know, you yeah. like comes together much more. Like obviously, it still has to be finessed, but it comes together so much more quickly than writing a novel draft. Yeah. I wrote the first draft of the reckoning as a script. It was a long script. It was three hundred and sixty pages. All right, and mm. translated into a one hundred and twenty thousand word novel very easily. Like all I had to do, like I had the the entire blueprint. I just needed to go back and through it all and copy and paste the dialogue and rework the description into into prose. And Love it. Up, like again, that was like a six week process. So I I ended up with a novel that was ready to go to my editor in a really short space of time. Great. I think going forward, that is what I'm going to do. Well, like, hey, it's, that's you know I've, that's brilliant. Yeah, I've I've gone from spending months and months and months, you know, rewriting the novel like three times to do a script that you can just bang out because you know mm-hmm. it's terse, it's short, it's brisk. You're not really, you know, it's not the final version, the final form, so you're not you you're not agonising over every individual word. And then once you've got that skeleton, you figure out the uh, wording. I, I whatever process you use to get to the point, by subscribe to the idea, get it wrong as quickly as possible. <laughs> So I, I get when I'm getting to the zone to write. I, David, you're tested. I'll I'll get six weeks, five six weeks. I can get a book, a first draft done. But I always go into it knowing exactly what I'm writing each chapter, so I know what I'm writing every time I sit down to write. But that book then goes to full on editing process. Things get added, things get taken out, things like that. But you know what what I produce in that six weeks isn't what goes out on the electronic shelves. Isn't what goes up on Amazon. Yeah. But getting to that point very quickly puts you like so far down the line of the whole you know in the author process is you're that close to then having another book another step another you know upward trajectory so that's uh, a really fascinating one um turning a script into into a book i think you know keep going on with that it's, i guess that kind of 
was going to say that kind of segues really nicely into question five, which is what do you wish you knew? Uh, what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you started? I guess probably writing books and scripts and, yeah. and uh, getting them done quicker. No? Yeah, it's kind of like it's 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 more than an outline, but less than a novel. So it's kind of interesting. Mm. No, I would yeah, I would say that's definitely something I wish I'd, I'd hit on a lot sooner. <laughs> but I think probably a more kind of one that's more because that's a very sort of idiosyncratic and individual mm. process. I think something that's probably going to be more relevant to more listeners is that it's a marathon rather than a sprint. And this comes back to what I was saying before about having a very mercurial mind mm. in that like, I am, from, on a day-to-day basis, I'm greatly influenced by you know how well my books are selling on that mm. day. If I have a really good day, like yesterday was a really good day, you know, I kind of, I've got a spring in my step and, you know, you can probably tell from my mood that, you know, I'm pleased with how things are going. If I have a bad day, like even an individual bad day, that's just enough to make me think, oh, no, mm. this is hopeless, you know, you know, this is not going to work. Um, so I think, I think you have to sort of look at the bigger picture and not allow, as much as possible, not allow yourself to be swayed by how things are going in any individual moment. So that, and also like have like have an eye on the long term goals. You know, don't don't just think about it from the point of view of this is where I am just now. Think about it from the point of view of well, okay, I'm here just now, but in a year's time or two years time, I could be here if I do these things. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it does sound. It sounds like such a generic piece of advice to pass on to our listeners but it's so important that idea of it's not a marathon or it's not a sprint it's a marathon you really you really have to be looking at it in the long term although if you look at it in short term and think well i released my book last week and it's only sold 12 copies i mean you will end up running your mental health down in 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 this game because you have to really look at it from the long term um i'm just going to shift tone slightly michael and, and ask you question six which is a bit more technical, but could you name for our listeners the one service you use as an independent author that you could not do without? Well, last time round, I mentioned the publishing software I use for laying out my my paperback copies, so I'm not going to say that again. What I will <laughs> say this time, I think, is my iPad. Um, mm-hmm. Like a couple of years ago, no, maybe three years ago, I'm I you know kind of this is this is something of an investment. I bought an iPad Pro. I bought the biggest one you can get, which is like almost the size of an A4 page. And since then, I've not printed out anything at all. Like when I'm going back through my drafts, I just save a PDF, open it and start scribbling on the iPad screen in red pen. Oh, great. I'm not going to say it paid for itself because I don't. I think that's quite difficult to quantify. But mm. um, just the convenience of being able to take that thing with me, so I can be sitting on the train and you know, kind of amazing, it. yeah, and constant it's, access. It's, yeah, it's just it's it, it allows me to do so many things much uh, uh, much more efficiently than you know if I was like printing out you know whatever it would be like 400 double spaced pages of manuscript to go through with the red pen yeah you know, yeah i was just the the, the apple stylus pencil thingy and with right. the with the red ink selected and i can just i just scribble all over my manuscript Another, i think that's great especially yeah. the idea of combining that with like you said like you know, if you're sitting on a train a half hour journey you know you could you could scroll on twitter or whatever for a half hour or you could sit and 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 do yeah. a, a half hours worth of editing fantastic so um this has been wonderful michael it's been so nice having you on uh the show um 
for, for well, you've taken over the show if i'm perfectly honest with you um but it's, it's been it's been so wonderful um your your story of kind of turning things around and going on this upward trajectory um should be one of the best things we put out all year for our listeners um, especially the ones who have hit those you know plateaus the ones who have thought I've, i'm doing all this and i'm getting little back for it or the ones who don't even know where to start they should be listening to the things you're saying and realizing you know what it is doable i just need to get my head down get my get my shit together and do it but with all that said question seven is what is the one piece of advice the one nugget of advice that you would pass on to our listeners um i think like i i mean it's probably going to be more or less a repeat of my the my answer to the last question and you know in the term in terms of you know it's a marathon rather than a sprint and sort of Mm. like don't get don't expect sort of overnight success don't get too disheartened when things don't just fall into your lap because you know they're not going to fall into your lap you do need to you know kind of do the do the legwork to make things work but you know like I'd, as as I've said, I think already today, I am I'm not where you guys are at the moment. I am you know kind of I'm several you know I'm, I'm several steps into the journey, but I've got a great number of steps still to go. So um, I think, oh, I, I, yeah, I just think always look at things in terms of the bigger picture. You know where where you were, mm. where you are at the moment, and where you want to get to, and you know kind of keep at it and yeah don't compare yourself to you know where other authors are it's, i think it's, it's it's the easiest thing in the world to look at someone and said you know i brought in five hundred thousand pounds in the last year yeah. that's where i need to be and i've got no way of getting there it's like no you possibly never will be there but you can get further than yeah you are. so you can get closer to that than you are now it's such Absolutely. good advice. Comparisonitis really can kill you in this game. There's no point in looking at any other author and saying, I want to do what she's doing or he's doing. It really is an individual, independent business, and you got to make the decisions that work for your genre, for the style of your books, for, for your branding. It really is all about individual decisions and not looking at, you know, Robert Enright and thinking, I'm going to do what Robert's doing because it won't necessarily, it wouldn't work for you, Michael, to do exactly what Robert's doing. You both write in a sort of a thriller genre, but they're different. They're, they're totally, mm-hmm. th- you're looking for different audiences. Um, so it's such good advice. Get rid of that comparisonitis and absolutely look at it as a marathon and not a sprint. It's been 15, mo- 15 months since we last spoke to you, Michael. I'm so proud of what you're doing. We're so happy that you've turned things around and your book's are amazing. Thanks so much for giving your time to the two indie authors again today. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, David, wasn't it wonderful to have Michael uh, back on the show? Um, second week in a row where we've had a Seven Questions guest return to join us. It's, it's been really nice. Yeah, it's it is nice, and I I hope those who are on our seven questions waiting list um aren't a little bit pissed off that we haven't got to them yet. We we have a list of about maybe a dozen or fifteen who are still on on the list. We're coming to Wonderful. you. We're coming to you. Um, be patient, please. But um, yeah, Michael had been in touch, and and then we we realised he had turned his career around so we thought mm. well well let's get him on and, and and see if we can get nuggets of information of, of how he's gone about it so i uh, we were so delighted and um 
that is that you can spend an hour with us uh, on the show today passing on those tidbits and, and smashing it yeah what a lovely gentleman and a, and a really skilled author absolutely mm. and and it's true I mean we can go through we can be masters at marketing and masters at getting great book covers and, and blurbs but if you're not writing great prose and great novels it's very very difficult uh, to go about it so I know he's a skilled author and, and I wish him all the best uh, for the future Speaking mm. of the future, Mr. Enright, what, what have you got planned over the next week before we talk again? Uh, well, before I tell you my, my horrific story, um, I am going to be writing. I, I, I will be disappointed if I'm not at least three to four chapters into the Jack Townsend book. Um, so check up on me next week about that. Yeah. Um, also, I have a few little things I need to do um, admin-wise, mainly around my website. Um, I've, I've got a list of things that i don't need to change but i know they're just they'll give me like a small improvement on little things things like blur like a few tweaks to blurbs things like that yeah they're probably going to get put back now till the end of the next book but i'm going to make my list on that and then also just for our listeners um next week i should have uh, the 2024 sales tracker available on our website and i will oh, let great. the group know when we have that um it'll be a new sheet for them to download you might you'll only have to input your total of everything into it from up till the end of 2023. So if you've been doing it 10 years, two years, 10 months, you'll only need to enter all your stuff into one, maybe two columns. Oh, that's awesome. And then you'll have, and then you'll have your monthly for 2024 stuff to put in and it'll have all the same breakdowns and stuff like that. So Brilliant. Um, I'll get that sorted. Bear with me. I don't use Excel as much as I used to. Um, so I'm not as uh, as quick with it as I used to be, but that's my that's my next week I'll, I'll get that out for our listeners um i'm aware we're in february so people have at least got one month's worth of stuff to put in so how about you david what are you doing for the next um the next seven days uh, yeah more words on page i'm, I'm about 70 percent through the next novella i don't think i'll finish it in 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 the next week it'll probably be another two to three weeks before i have the first draft finished and it'll be a, a case of, of working on redrafting before it's out the end of March um, but uh, essentially over the next week apart from if I can get a thousand words a day if I get five thousand words mm. um, that's a good week for me um, nice. but I want to put that marketing plan that I spoke about at the top of the show into action and um, so that's a case of applying for book bubs and applying for these other discount sites to try and get my book um, up there so that'll be my next week um, fingers crossed it all goes well for me fingers crossed it goes well for all our listeners too again okay. if you have any questions you would like to pose to the two in the authors you can do that on our Facebook page or our email address what's our email address Rob? Uh, it is, I want to say it's info at twoindieauthors.co.uk, right? Correct, correct. Info. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. And then when you said, I thought maybe we're both right. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, David, I'm going to uh, say let's leave it there and I will speak to you next week. Dum 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 d